Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance FM 104.4. This is a different show because, unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relations, relationship rather, with our electronics. Our monthly community electronic repair events here in London and all over the UK called Restart Parties are just the beginning. My name is John and with me today is uh, Lauren. Hello. And uh, we are your hosts for today. We'll be talking about... Uh, the technological body, basically wearable tech, insertable tech, uh, all kinds of tech that helps you supposedly live a better life in a medical way. Uh, and a quick disclaimer about every single thing we're about to say about medical tech and wearable tech and all these things. Uh, we are not medical pro professionals. This is not medical advice. We're not endorsing this. We are not promoting it in any way. Uh, if you are thinking about this, please consult the appropriate medical professional. Um, we're exploring this simply from a user's perspective, a philosophical perspective, and really just sort of making sense of what this all is. So don't take this as advice. Your body is important. <laughs> Thanks for that, John. Um, I th before we dive into this topic of medical tech, though, we're just going to uh, briefly mention two bits of tech news that have uh, recently come to light and the first one is the apple iphone x sales which we follow sort of purely out of curiosity and getting a kind of glee when um apple encounters a maybe <laughs> but apple's, we're not that mean no not really um so apple's most recent model the iphone x uh is not doing so well uh the sales have fallen way short of expectations uh which probably has something to do with the fact that it costs one thousand dollars so it just kind of goes to show that, uh, you know, there's a limit to sort of brand loyalty and Apple's really not thinking about uh, its consumers here. In this case, they haven't really thought through that that is not a doable price for a lot of people. So, yeah, it's interesting in that it sort of shows that there needs to be more attention to that side of it, that people aren't necessarily going to go for innovation for innovation's sake. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other big news uh, for that we have for you today is on Spectre and Meltdown, uh, not the new James Bond film, which I've just made up, but the two big security threats that have recently come to light. Uh, Intel has come out and said um, that their most recent security update was buggy, uh, could lead to spontaneous rebooting, data loss, uh, and corruption. Uh, for the moment, you don't need to update now. Hold tight, and there will be a fix coming. Uh, security cup updates that have been properly tested will be released. Um, so basically, no need to panic just yet. Uh, <laughs> there is a fix coming for that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what they've said. We're not 100% sure that... It's, it's sort of an interesting case of something going wrong and then uh, like a real rush to fix it straight away without that fix then being actually trialed and, you know, a sort of like hasty repair job making something worse really so yeah um it could have been better handled basically but equally you have to remember specter and meltdown it's a massive problem it affects what every single computer or or processor made since something like 1995 or something like that mm. um so it's going to a big problem obviously needs a big fix so it's certainly not the end of the road for those two things yet uh but hold tight there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is uh, help coming. Hopefully, yeah. This is turning into a really positive <laughs> show today. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Well, with that in mind, the sort of fallibility of uh, software, of firmware, uh, and of tech in general, which is something that we're kind of fascinated by and occasionally worried by, uh, I think that's a good context in which to discuss this idea of the technological body, because when you put tech in your body and then there's the potential of it failing or on your body uh it is the stakes are much higher it's not just a broken device it's some you know sort of lives at stake uh and we uh i'm gonna be sort of interviewing john because john is a particular example of how tech is used for medical purposes uh john do you want to just talk us through what that is absolutely um so i believe i mentioned it on the show before as well um i'm a type 1 diabetic uh, and to manage my diabetes, I use uh, what is sort of collectively called insulin pump therapy. Uh, if you're not familiar with that is, um, it replaces the sort of traditional syringe and bottle of insulin method of delivering insulin into one's body. Um, instead of being delivered infrequently through needles, it's delivered constantly through a little tube uh, that is implanted somewhere in the body and changed regularly, of course. Uh, and you wear a um, a device at the end of it, uh, the insulin pump, which slowly pumps fast-acting insulin into your body. Um, and more recently, that has started to develop into what's known as, well, known sort of uh, anecdotally as the artificial pancreas. It's not an actual organ. It's just a series of devices that are purported or should work together to manage your diabetes almost automatically. So with your insulin pump, you now have what's called a continuous glucose monitoring device, or um, CGM, I think, is the acronym. But for some reason, it's easier to say continuous glucose monitoring device uh, over and over again. Uh, feel free to do that in your own spare time, though. <laughs> and um, what that does is it takes a continuous reading of what your blood sugar level, your blood glucose level actually is. Um, and then that transmits to the insulin pump, so another device that's implanted into your body. And then you can automatically, as a user, make the choice to give a certain amount of insulin uh, based on what you're eating or um, you know what sort of situation you're in, like exercise or sleep or if you're fasting or something like that. Um, and there's usually, well, not usually, but there occasionally is a third device in this uh, in this mix, which is some sort of smart device, a smartphone or something, which can be used to transmit, upload data, or to uh, manage your diabetes uh, in that way as well. Uh, and why this is relevant particularly right now is because I just got my new shiny, shiny insulin pump uh, this past week. Um, I uh, used the, my last pump for about five years to the point where the buttons were starting to no longer work, and that was a little bit worrying to me. Um, but the new system is more compatible with this artificial pancreas idea, and it could be something I pursue if I want to. Right. So you're in a sort of trial period at the moment, is that correct? Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, with, um, with the insulin pump, if you go on therapy with the NHS, it's sort of in a contract. So you, you're basically working with your medical professional to determine a level of care that is good and that the therapy will benefit from and that you will benefit from as a, an end user of that. Mm -hmm. So it's basically about um, a six-month sort of trial, and then you know you carry on every six months after that. Right. And so there are three kind of bits of hardware involved in this, is that? That's right. And how how easy was it to sort of get the hang of how they all interact? I mean, was that explained in a way that you felt you could immediately sort of, and for other people, do you think, 
that it was easy to understand or did it take some getting used to? Or um, I think it's actually very easy to understand, to be honest with you, because um, when you enter into pump therapy, or at least my experience of entering into pump therapy, you tend to get um, all of the devices from the same manufacturer. So you're almost in this sort of closed garden of um, automatic compatibility. Um, there are plenty of insulin pumps available. Please do research it yourself if you're going this route. Um, I use a Medtronic pump. There's a continuous glucose monitoring device for Medtronic, and they also have proprietary meters as well. Um, so it basically just works. Um, remember, with the market for diabetes, you get a very variety, a very big variety in the audience. So you get older people, younger people, um, you know, anyone from two to seventy-five really could be on this therapy. So you're effectively designing a system that could be used by and understood by a wide variety of ages, ages and backgrounds. Yeah, I think I remember you uh, describing when you went uh, initially for the briefing, and you're in a room with all these different people, and there was a sort of kind of community spirit that evolved in this room where you're all kind of looking at each other and taking cues and yeah yeah <laughs> do you want to tell us a bit more about that day so that was the strangest session i've been to don't get me wrong <laughs> it was a, it was a wonderful session and i commend everybody who is running it for their patience and working with people um on such an individual level um you know to get this right um it is kind of a challenge to introduce a brand new um insertable medical device to 20 people at the same time in the span of an hour. So, I mean, kudos to everybody who, who managed that sort of session. Um, but it was very weird because we're, at one point, we're all sitting there looking directly across the table into each other's eyes. We all have either our left or our right arm up, and we all have an insertable medical device positioned just sort of behind our elbow because we're all about to make use of this new continuous glucose monitoring patch that is inserted sort of on the back of the forearm. And to do that, there's this very large, um, it looks like a stamp, you know, one of those self-inking stamps that you'd use to stamp a piece of paper, except this was about to sh shoot a small needle and a small tube into your arm. You've never done this before, and you're probably absolutely terrified about what's about to happen. So we're all looking at each other like, you go first. No, 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 you go first. And then just literally, and you felt nothing. I yeah. mean, that's the way the technology's advanced. It used to be very large needles and very frightening needles do pretty much no feeling at all. This is probably about a 0.5 on the pain scale. I mean, you felt more from the plastic around it than the actual needle. Mm. Um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it it seems to me that like probably part of the challenge or the, that moment of apprehension when you're about to insert this device into your body is not just the pain, but the idea of having a foreign object that is inorganic and electronic within your sort of tissue, you know? I mean, Absolutely. to what extent did that psychologically takes some getting used to. I became very worried about showers. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand that. Um, because with a lot of the medical tech, I mean, you know, the question of is splash proof, is it waterproof, you know, will the adhesive adhere to my arm, you know, if I take a shower every day and scrub very tightly there, um, you know, will that last or will I just knock this expensive device off my arm? Um, I mean, with the, with the sort of day-to-day -day impact, it was interesting because for the first sort of week after putting it on, I found myself both using it a lot more out of novelty and um, less out of the actual function of why this device was actually on there. It's great that it's giving me a reading 24 hours a day, seven days a week, over the span of two weeks. Fantastic. But for me as a user, I was more excited to just literally be able to take this device out of my pocket, press a button, wave it like a magic wand, and suddenly get, you know, what 
purported to be a very accurate glucose uh, or a blood sugar reading mm. uh, from this device. So I was doing that, you know, 20 times a day. I was just, beep. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Beep. Oh, that's interesting. You know, literally same reaction every single time. So um, there's an apprehension involved, but there's also a kind of excitement. There's a kind of excitement. But, um, you know, you also have to keep very clear in your mind that this is not an end-all to all of your problems. Mm -hmm. So um, with the continuous glucose monitoring, one of, the, um, one of the issues with it is it uses a different type of method to read what your blood glucose level is, mainly in that it doesn't actually use blood at all. So blood is like the gold standard of measuring your blood. That sounds a bit ridiculous to say, but there we go. <laughs> um, this uses what's called the interstitial tissue. Um, which is sort of um, a longer-term effect of what your blood sugar is actually reflected as. So your sugar's in your blood, then it goes through the rest of the cell, and it's the rest of the cell, the tissue and the, the fluid that's in that, that is being picked up by your continuous glucose monitoring system. So it can be, it can be different. In mm -hmm. my case, sometimes dramatically so, but often just sort of, you know, a little bit different to the point where you're just like, well, I guess that's right, as opposed to that is absolutely right. So it just reduces the frequency that you have to do the finger pricking, is that... Exactly. In theory, you could use this consistently for about two weeks and not have to check your blood glucose the other way. However, since it's a new technology and it's not really proven yet, um, you probably want to do a combination of both. Again, please do consult medical professionals for that. That's not official advice by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. And on this topic of sort of, yeah, the fall as we were saying before, the fallibility of hardware and firmware and software, uh, do you have any sort of, I mean, sense that your the devices aren't 100% reliable? Or what would you do if they broke? Who would you go to? <laughs> what kind of support is there available? Well, apart from the panicking um, after it broke, um, I mean, it's a bit strange to think that my entire life is dependent on one small device, smaller than my mobile phone, that runs on one AA battery. Um, I mean, it might be a bit of an exaggeration, but, you know, it, it would be causing me problems if it did break. I'm told there's a helpline. Um, if you're on the NHS and you're, fund and you're getting it funded that way, they will only fund devices that are under warranty. So once it's out of warranty, you're looking for a replacement. Um, when it's in warranty, if it breaks, they purport to be able to get you another one within 24 hours or 72 hours if it's a weekend. But obviously, if you're a diabetic and you need to prepare for these things, that's something you prepare for. So you'd, you'd keep in stock a backup system of delivering insulin. You'd keep a backup ways of measuring your blood sugar, you know, an older test kit, some old test strips, that sort of thing. Um, and you would basically just be prepared for that eventuality, which hopefully, hopefully never happens. Okay, that's good. I'm hoping for your sake as well that doesn't Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Restart Radio on London's Resonance FM 104.4. Uh, this is Restart Radio. We're talking about today medical tech, the technological body. Yes, and I've been sort of grilling John about his... Uh, his uh, in remind me the name of it. Uh, you can call it insulin pump therapy. Okay. <laughs> what or was the longer version? Um, Continuous glucose monitoring device. Well, the longer version is actually shorter. I mean, if you want to go anecdotal, it's the artificial pancreas. Right, I see. Which is not a pancreas at all, and thus I'm very disappointed. Sounds very exciting, though, artificial pancreas. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's kind of cool. I mean, kind of like a movie film or something. A yeah. movie film. Use, <laughs> use that. <laughs> 
So, oh. we, yeah, we're going to talk about some other examples of kind of medical technologies in a minute, but I just have a question, John, one yeah. last question. Absolutely. Well, actually two, but how does your user data get used? Is it just you have, so you have this reading of your glucose levels right. and is is that being automatically shared with your doctor or with someone else or is that just sort of, do you choose to share that data? Are there um, any concerns around that? Well, with, with my particular brand of therapy, um, I'm required as sort of the therapy to share that data with my doctor. Um, what has made that possible has been a lot of advances in how the devices actually talk to each other um, and a lot of different sort of third-party apps that can serve to aggregate that data together into a useful format. Um, so previously, when things were more proprietary, the sort of user data download was coming as an afterthought. You used to have to record every blood sugar that your glucose meter did in a book and then show that book to your doctor. These days, you can upload it with NFC. Um, and how that then gets aggregated, you can either use the proprietary systems, which could be a different one for your glucose meter versus your insulin pump versus your continuous glucose sensor versus anything else you're using, or you can find one that ties it all together. Um, so I use one that sort of ties it all together, and I can share that with my doctors to say this is roughly what's going on in every aspect of device that is currently attached to me. Mm. And we know that sort of data from patients is becoming increasingly significant in mm. uh, medical developments, really. So it's sort of an interesting question of of how much you know that stuff is private and how much of it is public. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly when testing new devices, uh, manufacturers are often interested in you know seeing what if you're a patient on an older device, you know, what your sort of user experience in terms of numbers might be. Again, I'm speaking from the perspective of a diabetic here, but, you know, certainly with like pacemakers or something, I'd imagine it would be very, very similar in terms of, you know, user experience, rhythms, readings, that sort of thing. Mm. And in on that note of sort of the difference between older devices and newer devices when it comes to med medical technologies in particular, I think, I mean we're sort of prone to assume that the newer devices will always be safer and more effective. And uh, we were looking at this NPR article recently by a medical investigative journalist called Jan Lenzer. That's right. And she writes about this uh, device for um, people with epilepsy called the vagus nerve stimulator. And there was a problem with this uh, whereby there were people who were hospitalized due to she writes, the vagus nerve stimulator sort of malfunctioning. Um, and it kind of raises questions about what the, the types of trials that these products undergo before they're released. And according to this journalist, she says medical devices are approved with far less scrutiny than drugs, which is sort of interesting because, I mean, you'd think that it would be mm. they'd have to undergo rigorous testing before they're released. But, um, yeah, apparently that's not always the case. Uh she says, so with regards to this particular device, we've got a quote from this article. She says, everybody's tech happy and thinks that the newest cutting edge device must be better than the older device. And when in fact, that's not always the case. In fact, when you look at the Sprint Fidelis leads, they were, a, they were a slight tweak to older leads when they made them somewhat thinner to be more flexible. The problem is they were thinner and therefore broke. So it's kind of this, this idea of something that could apparently at first glance lead to a drastic improvement for the patient but if it's not de de developed with sort of constant monitoring of the people that it's being developed for yeah. and the constant input from them then it can't really be relied upon i mean 
how do you feel with the glucose monitor that you have, this being a relatively new medical device? Do you feel like there's sort of a dialogue that exists between you and the medical system that is enabling sort of your feedback to be taken seriously? Um, to a certain extent, yes. To a certain extent, no. Um, there is sort of a community that pops up around using these devices. So for this particular glucose monitoring device, um, you can actually, uh, they have an online community uh, on their website of users, and you can, you know, offer tips, tricks, provide feedback, um, you know, ask questions directly to the manufacturer, supposedly. Um, and... I've basically chosen not really to engage with that because my experience with this glucose monitoring device was, I felt, not worth pursuing. Um, at the moment, it would be something I'd have to pay for myself in order to continue to use. And my experience of using it over two weeks and using con consistently of two weeks was that it wasn't accurate enough for me to sort of base my life around. Um, there was one time um, it told me that my blood sugar level was a 3.8, for example. Mm. Um, and if you're not familiar with that, that's quite low. Um, that's risking uh, hypoglycemia. You want to eat something. You want to, you know, recover from that uh, quite quickly. And it was weird because I wasn't experiencing any symptom of that. Normally you get shaky, irritable. I know you say I'm irritable most days, but that's fine. <laughs> um, you get very thirsty. You know, your vision gets distorted. You feel like something is wrong. Your body is basically telling you something is wrong here. And I wasn't feeling any of that. Um, but then when I checked my blood glucose, you know, the actual blood reading, it was normal. It was 6.8, which is, that's a little bit of a difference there. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, do the question I had to ask myself was, do I feel like paying 50 pounds uh, for every sensor for every two weeks, you know, to have that level of inaccuracy? Or, you know, is it better just carrying on what I'm doing? So I chose not to engage with that in that sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's always this case of you can see tech as this solution, you know, to all of your problems. Like there's this great new shiny, shiny device that's going to answer all my problems. And we certainly see that with phones as well. Mm. You know, this new phone is going to be the revolution that is going to change my life in so many ways. But really, at the end of the day, it's just a phone. And I mean, you need to think of how you're going to use it more so than just the fact that it's a piece of kit. Um, yeah, well, it's this issue with trust uh, hmm. as well. I mean, and related to phones, it's what we saw recently with the Apple sort of um, thing of... of batteries being slowed and it's it's sort of like if things aren't transparent if you're not exactly sure how they're working or what 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 they're being designed for then it's especially when that's in your own body it becomes incredibly personal um and on that note we've found something kind of interesting which is so apparently there's this new well there's a sort of like new range of ingestible uh devices for medical purposes that include things like pills that monitor when you're taking them and send that information to your doctor or to your family. And that's particularly good for cases of, uh, say, Alzheimer's with uh, elderly patients. Uh, there are also things like gas sensors that you can swallow, which chart different gas problems and can aid diagnosis. And these uh, sort of tiny pills that contain a temperature sensor, a microcontroller, a radio frequency transmitter, and button-sized silver oxide batteries. So, you know, quite complex compact yeah. tech that you're swallowing you're ingesting yeah so for um, once it's okay to swallow batteries supposedly <laughs> yeah apparently it's sort of a don't don't do that no don't do that. don't do that it's an interesting concept i mean these are still sort of like very early on in the development stage so they're not re readily available yet but yeah uh, yeah you know it's kind of pointing to future directions and there's the these vanderbilt university engineers are 
with all this in mind, creating an open source modular platform for building your own capsule robots. So the idea is that it once there's this sort of base code that you can use, you can then design your own pill depending on your own needs. Um, and they've got a sort of GitHub page for it. Uh, and again, this is sort of like very early stage. You couldn't really do anything that technical with them yet. Uh, the idea is that in the future, they could be used for things like tiny microscopic cameras that would chart your internal health. Um, but it's sort of an interesting idea thought. Hmm. I thought the idea of like if you design something yourself and you're then putting it in your body, do you then feel more in control of what's happening to you? I mean, it's sort of... It adds like an element of risk, I guess, but it also adds an element of, yeah, empowerment, really. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's kind of, it goes back to what we always talk about, our relationship with technology. You know, d depending on how you feel about like, you know, innovating and using yourself as a, as a form of innovation, you know, I could see some people being very, very, very happy to swallow this pill that will tell them exactly what's going on. Uh, you know, in whatever particular region it's designed to chart, you know, to, to really innovate and, you know, sort of be on that cutting edge of technology. Some people really enjoy that, and that's their relationship with technology. They always want, want something new. But, you know, equally, I can see a lot of people being very skeptical because, you know, there's a lot going on in that pill with a battery, a microchip, you know, depending on the size, you may have difficulty swallowing pills generally. You know, I would, I mean, myself personally, I feel very skeptical to be swallowing one of those things. Yeah. The part that stood out for me for that article was the fact that you can get data from it via Bluetooth. Yeah. And I think we've talked about on the show before that Bluetooth is actually very easy to hack. Yeah. You know, so does that mean somebody could hack your small intestine, for example? I wouldn't want that, personally. <laughs> no, I can just imagine um, my mom having a complete panic attack about this kind of thing. Yeah, I remember when yeah. I got my first brick Nokia phone, she would tell me to sort of, you know, like always speak on it on loudspeaker from about a meter away and keep it in a box in the corner of my room because I couldn't have technology anywhere near my sort of fragile infant body. That was her sort of take on it. Yeah, but, absolutely. And I think she's a bit less sort of skeptical of that now. But yeah, we do have this sense of thinking like tech and bodies don't really mix. Um, and it's, I mean, that's increasingly becoming challenged by this range of, uh, yeah, sort of new devices. There's edible robots and, you know, uh, and then things like prosthetics as well. Um, and this is sort of an interesting topic because it raises the question of, like, this, you know, the cyborg body, which is a big thing that comes up in, in sort of theories of technology a lot, and then uh, a sort of very problematic kind of strand of transhumanism which yeah. is the idea that humans can be perfected by tech, which, as we've said, is an extremely, uh, yeah, it's something that we need to really question whether yeah. that is necessarily true. Explored at length in Star Trek The Next Generation, of course. Yeah. Are we Borgs or are we human kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, and this is particularly sort of an important discourse when it comes to uh, disability and something that people with disabilities need to be consulted on. Well, this is really an arena where... The conversation uh, needs to be sort of in their hands as much as possible. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's a just briefly before we go, there's a, um, a Twitter account called at We Are Disabled, which I highly recommend following um, for sort of conversations around this kind of thing. And there was a tweet from Dr. Ashley Shu, which caught my eye the other day about uh, tech for people with disabilities and the issues around repair with them. And she says, 
glamorizing the tech and the idea of these technologized bodies makes us ignore important issues like maintenance and social meanings. Um, and we'll include the link to her entire Twitter thread on our blog post because we don't have time now. But yeah, it's interesting. It's a really fascinating topic and uh, yeah, increasingly important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's tremendous possibilities. Uh, there's risks as with everything. So the most important thing is, you know, take take your medical advice and your uh, body seriously. You know, think about what is best for you and what what life you want to lead and work towards that. How's that for an inspirational phrase to end it off? Speaking of inspiration, uh, we've got a couple of upcoming restart parties uh, this weekend. Uh, in the 3rd of February, this Saturday, we'll be up in Manor House. Uh, so do pop by with your uh, broken or tired electronics and uh, learn how to fix them as well. Uh, you can find all of our upcoming restart parties uh, and a lot more about us at the Restart Project at http therestartproject.org and find us on Twitter and Facebook at the at Restart Project. Excuse me. Uh, bringing in, thanks for uh, Optinoise and Cassini Sound for our music. Uh, as with all things, it's made from recycled stuff. This was with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discarded electronics. Really cool song, that. <laughs> Just waiting for it to go on at any point. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>